I had a life-changing experience when I was in elementary school. Discovered a show called All-Star Wrestling. All-Star Wrestling. This will take some of you back. Some of you probably never heard of this before, but there was this local group, um, the uh, American Wrestling Association, the AWA. Here's their logo. And these guys put on a, on a show. And, and one of the things that I loved about this, this show was they had these characters with these great names. These great names. We had the Crusher. The Crusher. There's a picture of the cr- He looks like a Crusher, doesn't he? And then we had Mad Dog Vashon. This is Mad Dog Vashon. There was also the Claw, Baron Von Raschke. Look at that. He, pretty brutal dude there. Um, then Andre the Giant. He circled his way through Minneapolis with part of the, the, the AWA. Hulk Hogan became a name here in the Twin Cities. And then there were the Road Warriors, a little down the road. Uh, anyway, well, one summer, um, as I was being influenced by this show, uh, I saw that a family out in our neighborhood was giving away a free mattress and a box spring. And I thought, who would ever give away a free mattress and box spring as an elementary school kid? I'm like, you can do a million things with these. And so somehow I got those things home. And then not only did this neighbor give these away, but over the course of that summer, three more neighbors did this. So by the end of the summer, I had four mattresses, four box springs, and we had the best all-star wrestling ring in Ravana Township. It was awesome. We got those 50-gallon drums. Those were our turnbuckles. And by the grace of God, we survived <laughs> because we were doing flying drop kicks and all this crazy stuff. I think the only thing that saved us besides the grace of God was the fact that mattresses and box springs don't weather well. And so we had a very short season with our uh, equipment Well, summer turned into fall, and with the changing of seasons came a transition from Kennedy Elementary into Hastings Junior High. And one of our FIED units in Hastings Junior High was wrestling, the real wrestling. This was not we pretend to be Rick Martell. We pretend to be Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. We pretend to be Wahoo McDaniel with his fearsome tomahawk chop. This was the real thing, head-to-head. This was winning requiring pinning. This is real stuff. Pride was on the line. Why was pride on the line? One, because I was a junior high boy and that's how it works. Two, how is it pride on the line? In my class, in my fifth hour, Johnny was in there. Johnny Pole, not the Johnny Pole, a different Johnny Pole. Johnny Pole was in my thing. And Johnny and I, we were enemies. We were not friends. We did not get along well. And so Johnny's there. I'm like, great, I get to take on Johnny. But I couldn't because he was in the weight class below me in this fired bracket we had. But, his friend Chris was in my bracket. So next best thing, I can take down Chris. And the highlight, the highlight of my junior high career was winning the title of lizard weight champion by pinning Chris right in front of Johnny. I was just, I thought this is, life doesn't get better than this. I loved wrestling. Well, our journey through Genesis that we've been on for the last nine weeks um, comes to a point where we're going to look at a different kind of wrestling. Today we're coming across a very different kind of wrestling. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Genesis chapter 25, verses 22 through 23. If you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to go home with one free today. I know you can find all kinds of apps and things like that, but it's also good to have a hard copy. Um, You can just grab one on your way home. We keep a stack there at the table. All right, now we're going to be backtracking a little bit. We left off with a, a, a situation where there's this character named Jacob, and Jacob was about to start a journey. And we looked at as he was starting this journey, he had this 
vision, this dream where he saw angels and he was blessed by God. And so we're going to be picking up where that story left off, but I want to backtrack and pick up some things that we didn't have time to cover last time. There is so much to the Bible period. If we, if we took not 11 weeks, if we took 11 years, we wouldn't get done with Genesis, would we? Right? But especially this section here on, on Jacob, he a lot of times doesn't get a lot of, of um, notoriety, but if you look at how Genesis is divided up, if you took Adam and Eve, um, if you took Noah and the ark, if you took Abraham and Sarah, you combined all of those narratives, that all fits in the first 25 chapters. The second 25 chapters, it's just Jacob and his sons pretty much. So there's a lot, lot here. So we're going to back up just a little bit. We're going to start talk about Jacob's birth. And the reason I want to back up a little bit is to show Jacob wrestled. He wrestled with people and with God from before the time he was born. He wrestled. He wrestled. And so here's this, this example of that. Jacob was a twin. And here's an account where he and his brother struggled with one another from the womb. I'm not making this up. You can look it up here for Genesis, yourself. Genesis 25 verses 23 through 23 says, The babies jostled within her, meaning their, their, their mom, Rebecca. And Rebecca said, Why is this happening to me? And so she went on to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. All right, well, Jacob's brother, the first of these twins, he was the first to be born. They named him Esau. And Jacob was close behind, close behind, so close behind that he's actually grabbing the heel of his brother on the way out. So they named him Jacob, which means takes by the heel, or he deceives, or he cheats. And in this case, Jacob's name proved prophetic. Jacob manipulated Esau into selling his rights as firstborn son. And he manipulated his own father into giving Jacob the blessing that his father intended to give Esau. That will be important later. Well, things continued to escalate. It didn't just come out grabbing each other's heel and things like that, wrestling in the womb. It it continued to escalate to the point where Esau planned to kill his brother Jacob, just as soon as their father died. Just as soon as he died. Well, when Jacob's mom heard about the plot to her favorite son, Rebecca sent Jacob away to go live with her brother Laban. With the assurance, she said this before he left, she said, I'm going to let you know when it's all clear. I'm going to let you know when it's safe to come home. So that's the backstory that brought us to last week as Jacob began this journey towards Laban's and he had that dream where he saw the angels and he received a blessing from God. Well, during his stay, during his stay with Laban, there's a lot of wrestling there too. A lot of wrestling. Laban tricked Jacob into marrying both of his daughters. Full stop. What? What dad does that? And Jacob tricked Laban in ways that led to Laban getting richer and richer at Laban's expense. So not only did things escalate with Jacob and his brother, things seem to escalate wherever Jacob goes. They're now escalating in this place that's supposed to be the safe place with brother, uh, with uncle Laban. They escalated till we reach this point, Genesis 31 verses 1 through 3. Jacob heard Laban's sons were saying... Oh, man, Jacob has taken everything father owned. He has gained all this wealth that belonged to our 
father. Jacob also noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been back in the good old days when he tricked him into marrying two women, right? No, that things are even getting worse than that. Then the Lord said to Jacob, the Lord said, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. And I will what? I will, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Okay. God says, I'll be with you. Did Jacob get all clear from mom yet? No, he didn't get all clear, but he's going to trust God. Okay. You say, he'll be with me. He heads for home. As he gets to the, to the river, this boundary marking, it's time to get back to my land, back to my, to my people. I'm getting close. This happens. Genesis 32, one through two, Jacob went on his way and the, what does it say? The, the angels met him. When Jacob saw them, he then said, this is God's what? He said, it's God's camp. Now this is really interesting. What kind of met him as he was going forth on his journey? It was these angels. What meets him as he returns? these angels when he's leaving and he comes he has this vision this dream of these angels he says this must be the house of god we see in jacob he's growing in his understanding of who god is and in that time and in that place as he's starting his journey he says well if god is here this must be god's house he says even call that place bethel which means house of god he, he, he pictured God as residing in this location because when you have a house you don't just usually pick up your house and move it around when people do that it's a big deal right Generally, your house stays where it is. Now he doesn't call this a house. He meets these angels. He encounters God. What does he now call it? He calls it God's camp. What does a camp do? You can move the camp. Jacob is coming to this understanding that God is with me where, where, wherever I go. God wasn't just in one location like the gods of his age. God was with me wherever I go, which then becomes kind of perplexing because as Jacob is coming to that realization, he also finds something else out. He finds out Esau is coming. And it's not just Esau with some welcome home sign. Esau has 400 men with him. Okay, anytime you see men gathering, besides groups of about three or four, right? Something's going on there. The last time we had a number close to that in Genesis was back when Abraham gathered, what was it, 318? Something like that. Why did he gather those 318 men to go to War against four kings. Okay, that was less than 400. Now Esau is coming with 400 men after giving a death threat to say, I'm going to kill you at first opportunity. Oh boy, Jacob has every reason to believe that his brother is coming to kill him and his entire family. Now remember, Jacob at this point, he's never gotten the all clear from mom. In fact, here is the last quote. If we go in the Bible, backtrack from here. Here's the last quote we have from Esau. This is a direct quote from him. The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will what? I will kill my brother Jacob. Oh boy. With no all clear from mom. With a clear and present danger approaching in the form of his brother who Jacob cheated out of the birthright, who Jacob cheated out of the blessing, Jacob turns to God. This is from Genesis chapter 32, 9 through 12. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I'll make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I only had my staff when I crossed this Jordan. Now I've become two camps. 
Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid. I'm afraid he'll come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, but you have said, I will surely make you prosper. I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Jacob, the wrestler, who's he wrestling with now? He's wrestling with God. He said, God, come on. What is this? You're the one that told me come home. You told me come home, and here comes my brother with 400 men. My brother who's vowed to kill me. You're sending me home. I had a plan. Plan A was wait till mom says it's safe. And mom's going to be really sure about that because I'm her favorite, you know? What are you doing, God? Where are you in this? Save me, God. I'm afraid, he says. You know, and, and I look at that. And while maybe you've never had 400 people come in to kill you, we can relate to this wrestling with God, can't we? You know, maybe something like this. God, you said, you said, I can pray anything according to your will and it'll be done. God, I've been praying for healing and praying for healing. Don't you want to heal me? Is this not according to your will? Or oftentimes, even more so, my loved one. God, you said I can pray anything according to your will. I'm, I'm praying for their healing. Are you saying this isn't according to your will? Where are you? God, how about this one? Why don't you take away this temptation, this addiction? God, how could this be your will? I don't want this temptation. I don't want this addiction. It pulls me. You see what happens when it pulls me. It brings me these bad places. Then God, just take it away. Change me. Take, take it away. Or how about this one? God, you say you're a good father. You say you're a good father. It's right there in your word. Then why are there so many kids who are abused? Why is there even a need for Emmanuel Children's Home? Why are there so many kids hungry? Why are there so many kids dying of preventable causes? Where are you? God, you say, you say, you will seek me and you'll find me. If you seek me with all your heart, then God, why can't you make yourself revealed in such a way that is undeniable? Where's my talking donkey, right? Where's my Red Sea parting? Where's my resurrection from the dead? If you're God, why not come down from that cross? Or how about this one? Simple as this. God, I want to be in the center of your will. I have a decision to make about college. I have a decision to make about a career. I'm at a crossroads. All I'm asking for is clear direction. Where is it? Where is it, God? Why are you not making my way clear? Or how about this one? God, you know all things. Your word says, you say, you knit us together in our mother's womb. Why would you knit Hitler together in mother's womb? Why would you create the serpent that was in the garden? You know, I, I can't be the only one that's ever wrestled with questions like these. With a show of hands, anybody so brave to say, yeah, I've had questions like, thank you. 
wrestling with them too. And some of us, it's not just a passing thought. Sometimes it's a passing thought. Oftentimes it's wrestling, wrestling with it. And know that you're not the first. This is one of the reasons we're starting in Genesis. We're seeing so many times, aren't we, throughout the series, things that are anchored in Genesis, it was true throughout the rest of the Bible. It is true into our time. And certainly this is the case, just kind of backwards from our time into the Bible before Genesis, after came after Genesis. We see Martha wondering, and I'm not trying to just be trite with this, but wondering, why am I doing all the work? You know? Why? Why is it on me? She wonders. Habakkuk wrestling. God, why aren't you answering our nation? Your nations cry for help. Jonah wrestling with God. Why am I supposed to go to Nineveh? The capital of this nation that is oppressing, that is cruel. Why am I supposed to go to help them change in their ways and be saved? Paul who God used to do so many miracles. God, why won't you take this thorn from my flesh? Job. You know, the gold standard, right? Of one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. Why? And then even Jesus on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wrestling with God. It is there in the scriptures, it is there in our lives, and as I've reflected as best I can on the many examples I see in scripture, in my own life, in the lives of countless people I know, here's three things that I want to offer up to you. And I don't offer them, I, I've worded them, you know, with wrestling metaphor and stuff like that. I don't want them to be cutesy. I just want them to be memorable because these matter. These three things I want to give you, they matter. So here we go. There's a place right there as you know. It's number one. Wrestling with God can lead to a breakthrough if. Wrestling with God, I want to tell you guys, wrestling with God can lead to an absolute breakthrough, but there's ifs with it. It won't necessarily. In fact, wrestling with God, sometimes it can have the opposite result because you give up too soon. You, 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 you believe things that aren't true, all that kind of stuff. It can. It can lead to a breakthrough if. And here's number one. You remember the win. You get the win right. That's what we're getting at here. You remember the win. When I was a youth director, um, we, we used to have these great snow camps and these, these fall retreats and things like this. And some of you will remember the transition. We used to have all of our camps used to be co-ed. Well, we got to a point where I'm like, we at least once a year, we've got to get the guys away with the guys. We have to get the girls away with the girls. And I knew that first year was going to be tough because junior high guys, what junior high guys are not going to want the junior high girls there. So I'm like, guys, we have to make this thing so good. So, so one of the things I'm like, this idea we came up with is back to my past, get the mattresses, make a big old wrestling ring. And we are going to have the most epic wrestling battle in the history of, of, of camp. Right? So we had this great battle. The win was let's have something so epic that the guys forget that the girls aren't there. That was the win that first year. And as we're carrying people off in stretchers uh, next year, <laughs> we redefined the win it's that, and also let's not get hurt, you know? Let's do both of those things. So we, we, we keep refining the win, right? As we mature, as we get older, we start to recognize that the win is not always what we think the win is going in. The win is different. In fact, as we get older, we begin to realize that life's greatest wins are often not about beating an opponent. Can I get an amen to that? That is not a cliche. That is truth, isn't it? The greatest wins are often not about beating an opponent, or even getting what we think we wanted. Stephen Covey, love Stephen Covey. 
He tells the story of a time when his eyes were opened to what I want to call the problem of perspective. Our perspectives are limited. And, and he had his eyes open one time to this problem of perspective. He was riding on a New York subway train. And this gentleman gets on with his kids. And, and it had been peaceful up until that point, at least as peaceful as a subway train can be. But this guy gets on, the guy just sits down, and he kind of closes his eyes and kind of closes out the world. And his kids are just acting up. His kids are yelling. His kids are throwing things. His kids are just bugging everyone in the subway car. And the guy just sat there with his eyes closed. Well, Covey could tell, man, everyone on this car is getting irritated. So Covey began with the end in mind, as he's taught us all to do. And he said, what's the win? Well, the win is to get this guy to wake up and get his kids under control, right? So Covey says this. He says, he says with as much restraint as he could muster up, he turned to the man. He said, sir, your kids are disturbing everyone on this subway car. Could you please get your kids under control? And he said it was as if the man kind of snapped out of it and, and said, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, you're right. I guess I should do something. And he says, but here's the thing. I just came from the hospital, and my wife, their mother, just died. Do you think the wind just changed a little bit with that new information? Covey's like, well, oh, how do I help this man? And after saying that story, he says this. He says, where we stand depends on where we what? Isn't that good? Where we stand depends on where we sit. When we wrestle with God and we sit at Jesus' feet as his disciple, we discover that winning isn't always what we think winning is. And if we could see as God see, we do as God does. Number two. Wrestling with God, it can lead to a breakthrough if you assemble your entourage wisely. Surround yourself with wise people, people who are going to be helpful. This weekend, we were at the Slice of Shoreview. In fact, our booth, we're still there today. And it was so great interacting with all kinds of folks and having, talking to them and, and hearing their story. And, and I wanted to also get to know our neighbor booths, right? To our right and to our left. Well, to our left, down two booths, um, was, was this group with this blue tent, with the blue top on their tent. And it said Bible resources. I'm like, oh, this will be a fun conversation. I'm like, oh, JW Bible resources, Jehovah witness. This is going to even be more fun. So, so I, I go down and I, and I'm just having this great conversation with some really finely dressed folks. And, um, and we're, we're great. Cause I'm going without an agenda other than I want to get to know you. And I want you to get to know me. And so our conversation went to some places. I'm like, so tell me some differences you guys have. And, and we got to, to, the, to the Trinity and to some other things. And, and, and as I'm talking and asking questions, they kept pulling up this Bible app that they kept saying, well, um, here, uh, <laughs> go with this. And you can download this yourself. And then they handed me this card, um, the card that they're giving out there at, at the fair. And it says here, it says, it says, learn more about the Bible. Learn more about the Bible and get our free Bible app. But how many of you know their, their Bible is different than our Bible on some key points? And their Bible continues to be adjusted on some of those key points. And as they're teaching people about the Bible, people who many of whom are trying to wrestle with God, they're getting a very un different understanding of who Jesus is, a fundamental different understanding. There's a lot we have in common there's some, a key difference, as well as then who God is by his very nature. 
which has implications for everything else. When you rest with God, you can have people telling you, here's what the, God says, here's what the Bible says. It can be very different than what the, the Bible says. Well, that was to our left. To our right, I had a chance to meet with this guy, this young entrepreneur, sharp man, has this really interesting idea. And so we're talking and so we, the, the conversation naturally came up about church and about God. And, and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not against the idea of church, but the problem with church is people. <laughs> and it was good because I was able to get him to admit that's the problem everywhere. <laughs> he's like, yeah, touche. Um, but, but how, how sad is that, that the opposite is in his experience? That the opposite isn't that in a Christian church, there aren't people who are sincere about trying to follow the example and teaching of Jesus. And it's changing them as they wrestle with what that means. Right? And that night, last night, I ended up having a conversation, extended conversation too, with, uh, with an individual. And this individual had, um, had, had sent uh, one of their kids to our, our snow camps before and, and, and said, you know, what can we do? How, how do I help? that sustain and they said, well, you want to find a youth group in your area. And so they found a youth group in their area, this large dynamic youth group. And so last night we ended up talking for an extended period of time because they said, here's the problem. My kid loves it. But those kids at this large dynamic youth group are a bad example, a bad, they're, they're pulling them the wrong way. They're a bad influence on my kids. <laughs> Who we surround ourselves with matters, doesn't it? It matters to choose our coaches, to choose our witnesses, to choose our mentors, to choose our friends, teammates carefully. Number three, number three, wrestling with God can lead to breakthroughs if, this is so important, if you don't tap out too soon. If you don't tap out too soon. One of the commentaries I read said this. I love this. They said, when we wrestle with God, The match isn't over until we yield. The match isn't over until we yield. The key, then, is to not yield too soon. To say, God, I'm going to hold on. I am in this until you change my circumstance or until you change me. Right? Until one of those things happen. Because there are times where God wants to change the circumstance. And there's people that yield too soon. Oh, you just got to let go and yet let God. Yes, but what does that mean? Right? And there's times where people give up too soon. They become too passive when maybe what God wants to do in the wrestling is teach us how to have that authority that we have in Christ, how to pray with a faith that can move mountains. There's times where God wants to change the circumstance, right? And if we give up too soon, we allow that circumstance to continue. We think, well, I don't want to wrestle against God. Well, maybe it's the devil that you're battling against here and not God, right? So there's times where God wants to change your circumstance. You don't want to give up too soon and get too passive. On the other hand, there's times where God wants to change us. And it's that very circumstance that's pruning us, that's refining us, that's teaching us discipline, all those things that aren't fun, but make us stronger, make us more refined, make us more effective, right? And then there's a whole other category of there's times where what God will do in and through a circumstance, whether he sends it or it's from the pit, where he can use that in our faithfulness, if we don't give up too soon, in our faithfulness, others can look and see the example of someone who's holding on, who's trusting God in that situation. This is one of the reasons, again, that authentic community matters as much as it does because we need to surround ourselves 
with people who can help us discern, who can encourage us, cheer us on as we go through these hard things. Well, after Jacob wrestled with God, we read that prayer where God, Jacob wrestled with God. And I want to hit pause here for a second to just confess before you. When I came up with the title, Wrestling with God, I originally wasn't going to read any of these scriptures that I just read. Because I'm like, wow, this is, let's go to that thing about Jacob wrestling with God. And let's talk about that. The wrestling that we're about to read, where he physically wrestles with this guy, that's not the wrestling with God so much. The prayer wasn't that the wrestling with God, right? But now let's come to this really interesting passage and see if we can make some sense out of it and draw some value from it. The same night we're picking, we're now on Genesis 32, 22 through 25. That same night he's praying, he arose. And he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children. He crossed the ford of the river Jabbok and he, he, took with, and he took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, the reason I'm highlighting these is you can see that there, there are so many levels that are going on here. And here you see a level of there's this word play that kind of brings it all together. We don't have time to go that on that one because here's what I want to focus on right now. After a lifetime of wrestling with God, And those around him, Jacob now found himself in yet another wrestling match, this time physical. The identity of this man is hard to discern. It's hard to discern. If you just keep reading as we're going to do, it's going to appear as though it's cut and dried. This was God that he was wrestling with. But you go to Hosea 12.4, and it appears to imply that Jacob wrestled with an angel that night. There's a lot of unanswered questions here. But one of the things that is clear is where I want to focus this on. One of the things that is clear is that God is at work in this wrestling match too. God is at work in this wrestling match. Picking up verse 26. The man said, let me go, for the day has broken. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. You guys think how different our lives would be. If we said to God in our wrestling matches, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And not in that name it and claim it way, not in that prideful way, not, not in that in humility. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Picking up with verse 27. And he said to him, the man said to him, what's your name? Jacob said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but your name shall be called what? Israel, Israel, for you have striven with God and men and you've prevailed. And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. If you ever wonder the origin story for Israel, it's long. But if you trace back far enough, you're going to see this is one of those defining moments when a man named Jacob was given a new name. And what was that new name? Israel. Israel. So Jacob, picking up with the the narrative, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life had been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping, it says, limping because of his hip. He was left with a limp. When I was young, when I was young, winning was all about pride. All about pride. It was about defeating rivals like Johnny and Chris. 
It was about making a name for myself, like the amazing title of lizard weight champion of hour five. As I said earlier, the older I get, the more I value humility. Humility. In fact, one of my mentors once told me, he said, those who walk most closely with God walk with a limp. Along the way, you were touched in such a way where you were broken, you were humbled, and it was a good thing. As each, as, uh, as the, as the wrestling match ended with Jacob, the word just goes right from this into this. It says, in the wrestling match ended, Jacob lifted his eyes and behold, guess who's coming? It's Esau. Here comes Esau. And the word reinforces with the 400 men. So now here's limping Jacob, right? Coming before Esau and 400 men. Jacob, who in my mind, I always thought him, saw him as like this little mama's boy because it basically says he's a mama's boy, but he was strong. You go back through the word. There was this real kind of cryptic thing where it says that, that he comes to this well and there's this huge stone that it took shepherds, plural, to roll away to be able to water these flocks. Jacob, he did it himself. Of course, he was impressing a girl at the time, but, you know, he had fed into it. But he was strong and now he's coming and he's got this limp, his limp. And, and God had brought Jacob to a place, listen to this, he had brought Jacob to a place where everything that Jacob had wrestled away from his brother was about to be symbolically returned. Hear, hear this, Jacob, he had deceived Esau out of his birthright in part. What that meant usually in that time and in that place is you get extra wealth from your father. Now what happens? If you keep reading, you see Jacob, what does he send before him to Esau? He sends wealth, wave after wave, 220 goats, 220 sheep, 30 camels, 50 cattle, 30 donkeys, a whole lot of pooper scoopers. He sends all these things along the way. We just saw the parade, right? Down in Slyshore. So all the things. He sends all this. Here's the thing about this wealth. Listen to this. That is more wealth. That is more wealth than an entire town would have been expected to pay as tribute if they had been conquered by a king. What is, what's happening here? There's a transferring of great wealth. It doesn't end there. Jacob had not only got that birthright, which had monetary thing to it, Jacob also deceived his father into giving Jacob Esau's blessing, including that blessing very specific, was this. Your mother's sons will bow down to you. Meaning now Jacob should be getting this blessing of Esau you know, bowing down and descendants of Esau. You can read it for yourself. Just continue to pick up where we left off. As Jacob approaches his brother, who bows down to who? Jacob, seven times. He limps seven times. He bows before his brother limping all the way. Israel, Israel was becoming a new man. Israel was becoming a new man, which then begs this question. And there's a place, right? This in your notes. What could your new name be after your wrestling match? Almost all of us put our hands up. What could your new name be after your wrestling match? If your wrestling involves intellectual questions, what could your name be if you really pressed in and didn't give up too soon? Oh, how could there be a God if there's evil and all that stuff that people have wrestled with forever? And there's amazing things there that we can learn.
What could your new name be if you wrestled deeply and found that there are things we can anchor to that are so solid? What would your new name be? What could your new name be if you began to realize that money, possessions, time, talents, they're not yours. They were given to you. What if you began to realize that? What could your name be if you began to trust God in stewarding them instead of trying to just grab onto them, stewarding them? What could your new name be? What could your new name be if you're a business person? And instead of trying to look at the world as the world often does and, and saying, I have to beat, I have to destroy the competition. What if instead you began to look at through a different paradigm, how can I add value to this world? How can our business be about adding value and bringing delight? What could your new name be if you treated every person as image bearers of God and all the dignity and respect that comes with that? What if we could do that? What could your name be if that was you? What could your name be if you wrestled, really wrestled with what does it mean to order our lives around doing justice and loving mercy and walking humbly with our God? What could your new name be if you face trials and tests and temptations with a, I will not let go until you change my circumstances or you change me? Closing story. Many of you have heard this one before. It's a great one to end this message with. There was a mighty battleship on maneuvers, maneuvers when the storm struck and the night fell. The visibility was so poor, the situation was so dangerous, the captain himself got on the bridge and said, I'm going to lead us through this storm. Shortly after dark, the lookout reported light bearing off the starboard bow. The captain called out, is it steady or is it moving astern? The lookout replied, it's steady, captain, which meant the battleship was on a dangerous collision course with whatever it was that was in their way. Well, the captain called to the signal man. He said, signal that ship. Signal, we are on a collision course. Advise you to change course 20 degrees. Back came a signal. Advise you to change course 20 degrees. Captain said, oh, send I am a captain, change course 20 degrees. A reply came back, I'm a seaman, second class. You had better change course 20 degrees. Captain of this mighty battleship was furious. He spat out, he said, send I am a battleship, change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> Captain changed course. 20 degrees. When you're wrestling with God, remember, you're, you're not the lighthouse. Hold on. Hold on and look for that blessing that comes when God either changes the circumstance or changes you. Let's pray and then we'll seal this with a song. Father, thank you. Thank you that you love to reveal. You love to reveal things as they really are. You don't give us a name like Crusher or the Claw or all that kind of stuff. You have a name for us that can be discovered as we wrestle with you, as we get stronger, as you burn away that 
which is not of you. As you help prepare us, not just to live a little longer here on earth, but you prepare us for eternity and a legacy that will impact generations to come. Father, we pray that you help us, whatever it takes, to trust you and your work in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.